morning. It's good to see you, and I'm glad to let you know that Christmas is not cancelled here. The reality of Christmas cannot be cancelled, and we will be meeting to celebrate that reality over the Christmas week. We have our carol service this evening. That is now full. That's full in terms of our reduced capacity. We're not going to fill the place, obviously. If you're coming tonight, don't worry about that, but it's full in terms of the number of seats that we can uh, safely have. But then I also need to let you know about this week. We're meeting on Christmas morning, and just note the time there. It's 10 a.m. Some people earlier uh, thought it was half past 10 as they left, but don't make that mistake. It's 10 o'clock, and we are set up so that if there's uh, a lot of people, we have the big screen next door. We can use that if we need to. And then on the 27th, Sunday the 27th, we have our normal uh, half past nine, 11, 15 in the morning, and then six in the evening. And then looking into the new year, beginning on Sunday, January the 3rd, we're starting to look at Second Peter on Sunday mornings. We've been celebrating Advent these weeks and the truth that the King has come. In the new year, we'll look at the Bible's promise of a second Advent. The King is coming again. So you may want over the next uh, week or so, a couple of weeks, to have a look at Second Peter. But our focus in these weeks and today is on the king's first arrival. And we're going to have a reading now from Luke chapter 2 that describes that arrival and also the humble circumstances that the king came into. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was supposed to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for her. Our first song takes us back to the little town of Bethlehem. Silent stars go 
This morning we're going to be lighting four candles on our Advent wreath. So if our lighter would like to come to the front. If you're worried about this small candle, I do have a spare. So don't panic if it looks like it's going to burn out. I'm going to light Let's join together in a prayer, thanking God for his Son, the light of the world. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray this together. Lord God, as we light this candle, we thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. We who live in discord and strife, have found peace in the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Every year we give presents to the younger people in the church and Steve is going to come and do that now. Morning. Um, so when Tim says younger people, we're talking about uh, Sunday School uh, Discoverers 116. I know some of you uh, who think you're younger people will be very disappointed at that, but um, that's just the way it is. Uh, we want every Christmas uh, to, to give a gift to the children just to express uh, that we love you and that we're so glad uh, that you're here. And at Christmas time, uh, it's a time when we remember uh, that God became a child. Uh, and one of the carols that we sing talks about how God contracted to a span. And so at Christmas time, we can look at a baby like we've got Edie there at the back, and we can think that the God of the whole universe became uh, a little baby. Isn't that just an awesome thing to think about? Uh, it's just amazing, isn't it, that God has done that. Uh, and so God uh, becoming a baby and growing knows what it's like to be a child, uh, and also as a, as a man Jesus loved children. He said so. Uh, he loved the children. And we want to express that same love to you all uh, as we give you a gift at Christmas time. So what we're going to do, um, I'm going to have uh, Paula maybe stand at this side and Cheryl at this side. Uh, I'll call you up um, a group at a time, like a household at a time, uh, as we give you a gift uh, from the church um, to express our love to you. So... Uh, how about if we start with the, the Gordons at the back? Uh, maybe, um, yeah, if you, if you, yeah, if you guys come up. And just wait there and Cheryl will, will pass that to you. Uh, and then um, Esther. <laughs> okay, and then Vanessa, do you want to come and get a, a present? Nathan, do you want to come? And Evan? And Isaac? <laughs> All right. And then, yes, Bryony and Jessica, you can both have a, a Christmas present. You'll be thrilled to know. <laughs> And then Alex. And then Oliver and Julian. And I think we've covered everyone. The car won't start. So oh, the Nixes. Oh, the car won't start, so, yep, mustn't forget. Uh, you're lovely girls, so...
Okay. That's great. And if any of you, uh, if we've missed anybody that you uh, know about because we can't see them here this morning, do let me know, and we'd love to hand a gift to them. Okay, so let me, uh, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks uh, for the children and the young people uh, that come to our church Uh, From the very youngest babies uh, right up to our teenagers, we want to thank you that you have blessed us with them. Uh, We thank you for uh, their their joy and enthusiasm in what they do. Uh, We thank you that they're here, and we thank you that we're able to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you understand what it is to be a child, uh, and in fact, you understand uh, the difficulties of being a child and a teenager, and in fact, you understand all of the difficulties that they've been going through this year. Uh, We thank you that you are with us and care for each one of us, and we know this year our children have struggled not being able to go to school, not being able to play out with their friends in the way that they would like to, and we just pray that they would know that you are the God who does not distance himself at all, but is the God who is near. And we pray that each of our children would come to know you as their saviour. That this Christmas time would be a time where they can think about the fact that you have come to save them from their sins. Help us to teach that faithfully to them in Sunday school and discoverers in 116. And may they know this truth for themselves, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In a few days' time, two of our church members are going to be migrating north to Yorkshire, Leon and Zoe Asgari, and during the week, Steve spoke to them and recorded an interview with them. They're not able to be here this weekend, but we didn't want to let them go without thinking of them and finding out some more details so that we can be praying for them. So we're going to watch that video now. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we want to be able to do this uh, at church, but um, because you're both working and you're going soon, we obviously can't uh, can't do that. Uh, so, for those that don't know, uh, what is it that you are uh, going to do, or where are you going? Do you want to go first? Yeah, you can go first. No? <laughs> I'm going to be a paramedic for Yorkshire Ambulance Service. It's just a straight swap for me, nice and easy. Yeah. And Zoe. Uh, I'm going to be working for 111 as a senior clinical advisor, so my role is going to completely change. Um, used to being hands-on and clinical, whereas now it's going to be a lot of on the phones. So I've got to do 10 weeks of training um, before I can start my job properly. So. Yeah. And where is it exactly you're going to be uh, living? The little town called Mexborough, back where I came from. It's yeah. a rather- for everyone who doesn't know the little towns. Yeah, okay. Um, so you move into a, a place that's familiar to, to Leon, obviously, but for Zoe, it's a, a bit of a change because you've grown up in the West Midlands, haven't you? So. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it'd be a big, big change for you. Uh, yeah. So when you go up there, though, um, have you, you've looked into churches. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about uh, how things are going with that? Because obviously it's difficult at the moment with all the restrictions? Um, yeah, so we 
initially looked um, on the FIEC website to see what churches were in that area. Um, we there's some of the churches that are still like doing things online just like we are um, so we've watched a couple of services um, from different churches um, and we looked at what they were teaching and looking at if their teaching was right um, and we've decided to go with um, Beskar Evangelical Church. Um, it's a little bit difficult at the moment because obviously we can't go there being in tier three and they are also in tier three um, and also um, we can't go we can't actually meet anybody uh, which is also hard so we've spoken to the associate pastor there which is Mark and he's basically said as soon as that we're as soon as we're up there um, give him an email let him know that what service we're going to be coming to um, and we'll try and sort out some time to kind of have a proper chat and things like that but we tried to do it before but then um, Yorkshire went into tier three and then so did we so we couldn't travel up there so it has been a bit hit and miss but we know that God's got a plan <laughs> even even in the midst of the confusion and the logistical nightmare that it has been. <laughs> yeah yeah it's difficult for um, move in at this time isn't it especially with churches and things like that so that's definitely something that we can be uh, be praying for uh, are there other things to be praying for specifically uh, during this time um so we finish as a training well yeah that i finished like that i've managed to do my training and everything all right and settle in with the new job but also just generally like the area like there's the things that you take for granted like driving around roads that you know um, I'm not really going to know. I obviously know how to get from here um, to our address, new address. But um, when it comes to like the daily life of travelling around and even things like shortcuts. So again, it's just logistical things um, and that I'll uh, feel at peace with it all as well. And that God will give me uh, the comfort and the strength to move. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was just thinking before we uh, came for this interview like you've been at the church for about or Zoe for about eight years mm -hmm. um, Leon for oh, a couple of years now two or three years um, but the, obviously the church has been a massive part of of your life because uh, Zoe actually was one of the first people that I baptized when I came to the church uh, in fact it was I finished my job and the first Sunday I was here was was a baptism service so that was a really great way uh, for me to start so you both became christians in the church both been baptized in the church and you've got married uh, at the church in Pelsall. so we've obviously had a a big part of of your life uh, so we're, we're really sad to see you go but we've also been privileged to see you grow uh, as christians uh, and we hope and pray that you take on uh, that that discipleship and grow further in the new church and use your gifts and and abilities that God's given you in that new place. That's what that's what we're praying uh, for you. Um, is there anything that you want to say? Because obviously we want you to be at church and say goodbye properly. But obviously this is the best we can do. Is there anything you want to say just before we go? Um, yeah, I just wanted to um, thank everyone for their like kind words. We've had loads of cards and messages from people. Um, and it's been really nice because even though obviously we haven't got the contact with people that we would like and that we do like um it's been nice to even feel the care the prayers 
um, during this time, and especially that even with moving, um, we've we've known from the start that God's got a hand in it. Um, everything has kind of just fell into place. Um, it's not been a struggle, um, and we know we know we've prayed, and we know that it's what God wants us to do at this time. Um, but yeah, we just thank everybody for praying for us and the fellowship that we've had and received over the years. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're sad that you're going, uh, but also uh, excited for you. And we expect you know God to do great things for you in the future, wherever you go. So, yeah. So we'll be praying for you now in church and we'll continue to pray for you uh, in the future. So maybe give everyone a wave. Bye bye. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church. Not a building, not a social club, but a temple made of living stones. Men, women, and children united through faith in Christ, being built together by the Spirit of God. We're glad to remember here in Pelsall, we're just one local manifestation of this worldwide church. We might not have seen our brothers and sisters in Albania and Mali and France and Yorkshire, but in Christ, we are one with them all the same. So we thank you that Leon and Zoe are not leaving the church. They're moving to join another local expression of your church. And we pray that they will. We know our present situation has made it more difficult to connect with new people. And we know the busyness of moving and starting new jobs, getting to know a new area. All of that can make it easy to put off getting involved in a new church. So we pray for Leon and Zoe. Help them to make this a priority straight away. We thank you for the good work you have begun in both of them. And we ask you to carry on that work. Give Leon and Zoe the desire and the discipline to prioritize you and to prioritize fellowship with your people. And we do ask that you'll help them settle in in other ways too. Zoe, as she adjusts to her new surroundings and goes through her training, and Leon, as he does the same job but with different co workers. Help them to grow closer together and closer to you. We pray that for ourselves as well. In recent months, we've spoken often about the challenges of sharing with one another at the moment, but we know it's not impossible. And we ask you to help us to persevere in caring for one another in love. Help us to persevere also in following Jesus. This morning, remind us what we have as men and women who belong to Jesus. Help us to treasure him above everything else, the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Amen. At this point, our Sunday school will be moving next door.
If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me remind you, the book of Ruth is a book that started with emptiness. A man called Elimelech took his family away from Bethlehem because there was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, but there was no bread in Bethlehem. So Elimelech left for the country of Moab, but instead of finding fullness in Moab, he and his family found even more emptiness. First Elimelech died, and then his two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, also died. At the end of chapter 1, we saw Elimelech's widow Naomi trudging back to Bethlehem proclaiming her emptiness and her bitterness. But even as Naomi was telling everyone how empty she was, the situation was changing. The reason she came back to Bethlehem was because she heard in Moab the Lord was providing food in Bethlehem again. And even as Naomi came back bitter and bleak, she wasn't actually alone. Her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, came back with her. And in order to do that, Ruth had left her people and her gods to cling to Naomi's people and Naomi's God. That decision by Ruth is very significant in what follows. Because in Bethlehem, as the harvest begins, Ruth is welcomed by Boaz. And he welcomes her and as he does, he makes it clear he knows Ruth has not come to Bethlehem still clinging to Moabite idols and Moabite ways. Boaz knows Ruth has come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. And Boaz shows kindness to Ruth, a level of kindness that goes way beyond any duty or obligation that was set out in God's law. The law commanded that foreigners be allowed to glean in Israelite fields. But Boaz went much further than that. Instead of allowing Ruth just the scraps from the harvest, he gave her more grain than she could have dreamed of collecting. And that kindness from Boaz that faithful love that went far beyond duty, it caused Naomi to start talking about redemption. To redeem something or someone is to buy them back. It's to recover something that was lost. And the kindness of Boaz leads Naomi to hope maybe he will be a redeemer for her family. Now, he is a guardian redeemer, he has that position in the clan. Maybe he'll be Naomi and Ruth's redeemer. And that hope produces great boldness in both Naomi and Ruth. With Naomi's guidance, Ruth finds Boaz while he's sleeping at the threshing floor, and she asks him to marry her. And the end of chapter 3 left us on a cliffhanger, because although Boaz was eager to marry Ruth, there's another guardian redeemer who's legally first in line. Boaz promised to speak to the man and settle the issue. 
Ruth and Naomi have every reason to trust Boaz. But as chapter 3 ended, all they could do was wait. And now chapter 4 picks up the morning after Boaz's promise to settle the matter. Chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. Then he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
This, then, is the family tree of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is God's word. And it's about redemption. And one of the reasons we've been looking at this book during Advent is because this redemption in Bethlehem gives us insight into the redemption that arrived generations later when Christ was born in Bethlehem. So we read this story always with one eye on what came later. But first we need to take in the details of this passage. And in verses 1 to 12, we find a bride raised from shame to honor. Boaz had promised a secure future for Ruth, and he's as good as his word. The morning after their chat at the threshing floor, he goes to the town gate and sits down. Now, what is the point of doing that? Well, the town gate was not just a big door on hinges. It was the place where official business got sorted out. It was like our town hall. The elders of the town met there, so that's where Boaz goes. And in the presence of the elders, he speaks to this other, more closely related guardian redeemer. Boaz lays out the situation for him. In verse 3, Boaz mentions that Naomi is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, we might wonder, if this is just about selling some land, why did Naomi need to involve a guardian redeemer? Surely all she needs is an estate agent. Well, here's what seems to be going on. If you remember, Naomi's family left Bethlehem because of famine. So it's likely they actually sold the land then before they left. And now Naomi has no resources to buy the land back. That's why she needs a guardian redeemer, a member of her family who will buy the land back for her and at the same time keep the land within the clan. But what Naomi is offering is that whoever buys the land will get to use it and profit from it rather than just handing it back to her. So in a sense, Naomi is selling the land a second time. She will still not own it. But this time, the difference will be because the new owner will be a relative, he will care for Naomi as long as she lives. So it's a nice deal for everyone. Elimelech's land comes back into the clan. Naomi is provided for, and the redeemer ends up with more land to farm. That's what Boaz presents to this other guardian redeemer. And understandably, the guy jumps at the offer. At the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. But notice what Boaz has left out up to this point. He has not mentioned Ruth. So the other guardian redeemer is thinking, okay, Naomi is a widow, and she's not a young woman, so I buy the land back, I have an extra mouth to feed for a few years. Then, when Naomi is gone, the land is mine. And my own family will get all the profits from it. 
But at this point, Boaz throws a spanner into that nice little prospect in verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. The mention of Ruth changes everything. Why? Well, here are two reasons. First of all, Ruth is a young widow. And the responsibilities of a guardian redeemer will include marrying her. But any child from the marriage will be counted as a descendant of Elimelech. When that child grows up, the land will be his. The redeemer loses it. So with Ruth in the picture, there's no financial reward for the redeemer. And I'm sure that's on his mind here when he says in verse 6, if I go ahead with this arrangement, I might endanger my own estate. But I don't think the land is all the Redeemer's thinking about. I think there's a second consideration here, and it might even be more significant for him than the first. I might endanger my own estate could also be translated, I might spoil or ruin my estate. Why might marrying Ruth spoil things for the Redeemer? Well, notice how carefully Boaz mentioned Ruth's background. She is a Moabite. That fact is mentioned seven times in this book. And in previous weeks, we've seen how the Moabites are historical enemies of Israel. So much so that the book of Deuteronomy says this. Deuteronomy chapter 23. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the tenth generation. And the text then outlines the reasons for that. Moab's attempts to destroy Israel in the past. And then it finishes, Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. So this guardian redeemer knows it's one thing for Ruth the Moabite to be welcomed as a gleaner during the harvest. It's one thing for her to be accepted as a servant among the people of Israel. But to marry her, uh-uh, that's going too far. Wouldn't it be defiance of God's law? Surely it would bring shame on the Redeemer. Surely it would spoil his reputation, contaminate his family, and ruin his position in the community. The Redeemer says to Boaz, I'm out. Here, have my sandal. You be the Redeemer. The sandal handover sounds strange to us, but remember this is a legal matter. It's being settled in front of the town elders. Once everyone has seen this man take off his sandal and hand it to Boaz, there can be no comeback afterwards. Because people can argue about what they said or didn't say, 
But taking off your sandal and handing it to someone is a very obvious action. You can complain afterwards that people misheard you or that you didn't mean what they thought you meant, but you can't accidentally take off your sandal and hand it to someone. The sandal handover seals the deal in front of everybody. And so Boaz holds up the man's sandal, and in verse 9 he says, Today you are witnesses, this is to all the people, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Ruth's Moabite background killed the deal for the other redeemer, but for Boaz, he parades the fact she's a Moabite, like he's proud of it. But isn't he a man who fears the Lord? Isn't that how he has been presented to us? Haven't we seen him being careful to obey God's law as he welcomed Ruth to glean, as the law said? Then as he carefully went through the legal process with this other guardian redeemer, as the law said? So what are we to make of the fact that Boaz enters into a treaty of marriage with a Moabite. Something Deuteronomy clearly says he's not to do. Were we wrong about Boaz last week when we said he was careful to do the right thing all the time, not just when it was convenient? Is this a case where an inconvenient law is just too inconvenient for Boaz? Not at all. The law in Deuteronomy is based on the reality that Moabites are enemies of Israel. Again and again, they showed their desire to destroy Israel. And the point of the law is, Israel is not to get into bed with her enemies. Not literally in marriage, and not symbolically in any other kind of treaty. But does that apply to Ruth? Yes, she was born an enemy of God's people. But in chapter 1, didn't we hear her say to Naomi, your people will be my people, and your God my God? In chapter 2, didn't we hear Ruth had come to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel? So the reality is, Ruth will always be a Moabite by birth, but she is no longer a Moabite at heart. She is no longer a Moabite by conviction. She has fled to the Lord for refuge. And here's what the Lord says about people like Ruth. These words are from the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 56. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. For this is what the Lord says. 
Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. If you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, put a note in the margin of Deuteronomy 23. See Isaiah 56. But does that mean God changed his mind between Deuteronomy and Isaiah? Not at all. He's always been the God who accepts enemies who come to him for refuge. Isaiah 56 doesn't cancel Deuteronomy 23. It shows Deuteronomy 23 is not about repentant enemies. It's about defiant ones. Isaiah 56 shows the Lord's welcome for enemies who repent. And here in Bethlehem, Boaz knows the Lord. And he is displaying the Lord's love as he marries this Moabite who has bound herself to the Lord. And look at the response of the elders and the people in verse 11. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. It's easy for you and me today to miss the significance of what's being said here. But really, it is amazing. Rachel and Leah were the mothers of the twelve sons of Jacob who became the twelve tribes of Israel. So in terms of honor and stature in Israel, Rachel and Leah are as high as it gets. That means it is really something when the people of Bethlehem say, may Ruth the Moabite be like Rachel and Leah. May she have the honor and stature they had. May the family of Israel be built up through her as it was through them. It's an amazing thing to say, but the people of Bethlehem know the Lord has form with this kind of thing. He's done this before. They give an example here in verse 12. Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Do you know who Tamar was? She was a Canaanite woman who had a child with her father-in-law, Judah. And the child, Perez, became the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. So Boaz himself knows all about the Lord's grace in welcoming outsiders who come to him for refuge. The Lord has form when it comes to taking people covered in shame and raising them up to honor. 
In fact, he makes a point of building that grace into the history of his people. And this little book, whatever else it's about, it's the story of God bringing this Lady Ruth further and further in. From a complete outsider to begin with, an enemy of God and his people, worshipping idols in Moab. From that to a gleaner in the fields of Bethlehem and Israel. Then to a servant of Boaz and now to his bride. And we'll see shortly, the Lord honors Ruth by making her the great-grandmother of King David. Israel's greatest king had Moabite blood. And that was no accident. It was part of God's plan. He wants us to know he is that kind of God. When his enemies forsake their sinful heritage and come to him for refuge, he brings us further and further in. From outsider to servant to bride. Here that reality of God's redemption has been illustrated for us as Ruth becomes the bride of Boaz. But the New Testament says, as we come to Jesus Christ for refuge, we join the people who are his bride. Ephesians says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The redemption we have in Jesus Christ is a redemption that brings us further and further in. His love cleanses us and transforms us for men and women who are covered with shame. And don't we know that that's true? We start as men and women covered in shame, men and women who don't belong, and Christ changes us into men and women who together make up a beautiful bride made radiant by the love of our Redeemer. And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19 describes the wedding supper of the Lamb. The future day when Christ's bride will stand before him radiant, holy, and blameless. So if you feel unloved, if you feel unlovable, come to Jesus. His love welcomes and transforms those who come to him for refuge. The fact that God's love could raise a Moabite from shame to honor, that shows his love can transform anyone. So don't think you're too far gone. Don't imagine you're too stained. God's love in Christ can make you new. His love can replace your shame with honor as part of his radiant bride, the church.
The second part of our passage shows us a child and a king bringing fullness. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Maybe he become famous throughout Israel. May he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. These women of Bethlehem who appear in verse 14, they were there back in chapter 1 when Naomi returned to Bethlehem. She came back bitter and empty. But now these same ladies recognize through the birth of this child The Lord has replaced her emptiness with fullness. When they talk about a guardian redeemer here, they're not talking about Boaz. Boaz is a redeemer, of course, but the redeemer these ladies are speaking about is Obed, the newborn child. Obed is a redeemer in the sense that he will redeem Naomi's old age. He will recover her life from bitterness and emptiness. But just as Boaz's redemption of Ruth's shame was a very personal thing that had much wider implications, so Obed's redemption of Naomi's emptiness has much wider repercussions. Because at the end of verse 17, this book that has been so narrowly focused up to this point, And just three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. With the arrival of Obed, the horizon of the story suddenly bursts right open to a massive future that will encompass literally millions of people. Verse 17 says, Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the final verses flesh that out a bit by giving us a family tree. That family tree starts with Perez, the illegitimate child of Tamar the Canaanite we heard about earlier. And from Perez then through Boaz and Ruth, the family tree links to David. David was also born in Bethlehem. And he became a monumental figure in terms of Old Testament history. So much so that Bethlehem became known as the city of David or the town of David. If you remember back to the end of the book of Judges, we were told multiple times there that God's people needed what? A king. A king to lead them out of the mess they were in. And in Israel's history, David was that king. Even today, as Israel's greatest king, he's commemorated in the flag of Israel, the star of David. And yet in the Bible story, David was just a stepping stone to something far, far greater. 
He was a monumental king who received a monumental promise from God. God promised that one of David's descendants would reign forever. So the sweep of this little story moves from two empty widows, Naomi and Ruth. It moves through Obed to David and on beyond David to God's everlasting ruler, the ultimate answer to our need for a king. That is the beauty of our God and his ways. His love and his attention encompass the lives and concerns of two destitute widows. And his love and attention also include the entire movement of world history. And when we come to the New Testament, on the very first page of the New Testament, we find a fuller family tree in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's family tree shows how God oversaw that line of descent through Ruth to David all the way to Jesus Christ. The angel who announced Jesus' birth explained exactly what that meant. Jesus is the descendant of David who will reign forever. But think about that family tree. We've seen how amazing it is that the great King David would be descended from a Moabite. But how much more incredible that Jesus, the Son of God, was born into a family descended from Ruth. And again, that was no accident. God was not ashamed to give his son Jesus Moabite ancestry. So that forever after, every outsider would know they too can have a place in God's family. The family is open. It's for all kinds of people. All those who come for refuge to Jesus the Redeemer. And Jesus not only gives us honor in place of shame, he also gives us fullness in place of emptiness. He's able to satisfy the deepest needs and longings of our hearts. So whatever you have in mind for this Christmas week, I encourage you this week to start with Bethlehem. The place where God welcomed a Moabite through Boaz. Later, the place where God raised up David the king. The place where finally God himself arrived on earth. Jesus the Redeemer. Born a child and now the risen king who reigns forever. Our final song takes us back to Bethlehem, once in royal David city.
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Amen.